welcome to Nicosia Uncut. We have once more reached the eve of a European Union Council where the issue of Turkey will be raised, so Kemal and I discuss its implications and what is at stake. We also touched upon the latest in domestic politics on both sides of the divide. And we conclude on a positive note looking at the demonstrations of the Turkish Cypriot youth calling for peace and reconciliation. Hello, Kemal. How are you? Hello, Andromahi. I'm all right. I'm, I'm doing fine. It's that I managed to overcome that uh, my yearly um, flu session, so I'm surviving. Yes, it's flu and not COVID, so that was uh, even better. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's funny that we are now happy that we are catching a, a flu, but not COVID. Yes, and, and looking for the symptoms that show that it is not COVID, you know, the symptoms. Oh, we are all medical the... experts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes, uh, well, uh, what's the date? What do we have on our agenda? I think we have, well, clearly the main focus in the Greek Cypriot press is obviously the European uh, Council that will take place on Thursday, the 10th of December. As it is, as, as always, uh, there was a lot of hype about uh, the possibility of sanctions against Turkey in this summit. As you know, and we have discussed it in the past, uh, the European Council had uh, postponed uh, decisions on Turkey until December. They had extended a positive agenda towards Turkey and they were expecting to see its response in order to decide about the future steps in the relationship between the European Union and Turkey. I think it is now uh, becoming clear that those positive steps did not in fact come. And I think that this is something that is admitted um, across the European Union. Uh, there was a Foreign Affairs Council on Monday, the 7th of December, and after that the EU High Representative Josep Borrell uh, you know, he made it clear that the positive steps that they were anticipating did not come and that there was no fundamental change of direction on Turkey's behavior. It is interesting that this is being said even though the Oruç race uh, survey vessel uh, departed from uh, the waters of Greece. But still, it, it has become evident that the European Union believes that the situation is not a positive one. The question now is what happens, and I think it, it is uh, abundantly clear that uh, the EU is divided between the countries that want a tough stance against Turkey and the countries that support Greece and uh, Cyprus um, in the demand for, uh, for sanctions against Turkey, and those countries that still insist on following the road of dialogue and uh, discussion. On the one hand, you have uh, those countries that are supporting Cyprus and Greece. You have France, Austria, Slovakia, for instance, that are in agreement with a tougher stance on Turkey. And on the other hand, you have countries like Germany, Italy and Spain supporting a more reconciliatory approach. So it remains to be seen. Things are not uh, clear at the moment and uh, it remains to be seen what will happen until Thursday. How do you perceive this whole situation? I mean, from your perspective. Well, I always uh, look at things, uh, of course, from the Cyprus solution and then Cyprus reconciliation perspective. 
of living in Cyprus and being a peace activist. I understand the concerns and issues. I know that the Europeans are thinking that at certain point Turkey needs to be seeing some sort of a, a united front, a, a decisive front from the EU. That's how they perceive it. But, uh, you know, when you use the, the tool of sanctions, you use it once. I mean, and then it's over and you don't have any other tool to use anymore. So this is like a difficult decision to make because once you lose your leverage over Turkey, then then what? If you're not going to, let's say, fight or start a war, then you use your sanctions card and there's nothing in between. Sanctions to war, there is no other step. Then it's more difficult really to to have Turkey with the what the third second third biggest nato army then you have russia and then turkey is located at a very strategic uh, location and then having issues with uh, more than one of your members then what you use the sanctions card and then what and this is this is the problem and this is this needs to be considered and number two i'm just wondering what turkey thinks I wonder if they are successful in communicating their part of the story. I mean, whether they mean it, whether they are genuine or not, it's another discussion. But each party has its own story and I wonder what their story is. And I wonder how they communicate their story. How I started my um, analysis uh, on this, I said that I looked things from the Cyprus perspective. And um, we know that things are not looking very promising when it comes to the Cyprus solution. So does this mean that Turkey will toughen its stance when it comes to Cyprus? Will it be actively seeking some of the world countries to recognize uh, North Cyprus as a separate country? What? I mean, are we to expect, let's say, even a more uh, bullying stance from Turkey in, in the waters around Cyprus. So these are the, the, the issues that I always think when, when I think of EU toughening its stance towards Turkey. And uh, speaking of uh, the Cypriot perspective, a toughening uh, of Turkey's stance as well will undeniably have an impact on Cyprus and Greece. It will not have an impact on Denmark. It will not have an impact on, on, on Germany. I mean, these are the two countries that are bound to feel the immediate effects of a deterioration in relations between the, the EU and Turkey. Having said that, of course, one might wonder, well, can things get any worse? And I will say, yes, I believe things can get a lot worse. And this is something that one should have in mind when uh, seeking for uh, the various measures. And I, I believe that uh, what needs to be clarified in the minds of the various agents in the region is what is the ultimate goal? Is the ultimate goal to have a win at home? Uh, claiming that, yes, we managed to impose sanctions against Turkey and then not considering what will happen next? Or are we interested in finding solutions and finding solutions with a view to the future? Because for good or bad, <laughs> Turkey will be there and it will be a neighbor and we need to find ways to sort the relationship out. Having said I mean, Andromahi, that... Andromahi, I genuinely um, wonder what do the policymakers in the Republic of Cyprus think? I mean, it is very clear that Turkey is in a mindset that 
they are prepared to use any kind of means, including military means, to make sure that they are at least getting something out of the situation, at least to save face. Let's put it this way. We know that Cyprus is in the heart of all these fragile uh, equations. Whether you like it or not, geography is your destiny. It is there, you cannot change it. Even if there is not going to be a war, some sort of a military situation around Cyprus or near Cyprus will kill the prospects of tourism, for example. I mean, after a tough COVID stance, probably now there are some expectations, maybe in the second half of 2021, something will happen, some touristic opening. I mean, how can not they see this? Do they think that the Europeans will join forces and then militarily fight Turkey? And if this is something that they want, then don't they see the implications on the economy, on, on, like, on the long-term uh, impact on the country? Mama, this is exactly the case. And this is not even, <laughs> this is not even about the Cyprus problem. Like, if, if we forget the Cyprus problem, you have issues concerning the Republic of Cyprus that will immediately affect the country, its economy, as you say, its people. And we have seen that Turkey is willing to take things uh, to the extreme. It, and, and I'm wondering, do we really want to put Turkey against us? I mean, a, in a direct confrontation and be an agent that is directly opposing the European Union? So, I don't know. I suppose these are all the issues that are now on uh, um, on the equation for the Europeans to consider. And the other thing that I always find striking is how this Greece and Cyprus game, the way it is being played. Uh, you know, last week, the Greek foreign affairs minister, Nikos Dendias, he visited Cyprus and he met with his counterpart, Nikos Christodoulidis, and they meet and they say the things that everyone wants to hear and they please their domestic fans. And one wonders, if you're so certain about this need for sanctions, etc., shouldn't you be talking to the Europeans? Why are you talking amongst you since you are in agreement? And it seems like we have created this echo chamber in which we are satisfied in reiterating our stance, but we are not trying to make any openings in the European Union, in the world, and in trying to find solutions. It, sometimes it really strikes me that I feel that, like we are just pleased in repeating the, the certainty of our rights. Of course, we also have developments in the US. Uh, we are going to have a new uh, Biden administration. He is being dubbed as somebody who advocates a stronger uh, position against Turkey. Whether Turkey will be cornering itself and uh, whether it's going to be good for Turkey or for the government in Turkey, it's another long sociological political discussion. But at the end of the day, I, I understand that the Europeans are trying to contain Turkey and push Turkey towards uh, some sort of an agreement with, with her neighbors. But I think um, Turkey continues to see EU as some sort of a club rather than being an interlocutor in between. And this is, of course, not helping. And of course, there are domestic issues within Turkey. There are always balances of power. I think Turkey, in Turkey, Erdogan continues to need even more 
the nationalists um, in its administration. And, um, there are many rumors that nowadays Erdogan is actually trapping himself, cornering himself with the fact that he kicked out all the potential allies in Turkey to, to have a coalition with. And uh, nationalists are, are aware of this and then they're using this. But these are just all internal discussions with Turkey. I think it's important to continue to give a very decisive message for, for Turkey to go back to the negotiation table and, and then to, to solve her problems with the neighbors. I don't see any other way. I mean, yes, of course, there are other means and, you know, like sanctions and military confrontations. But I don't think that it's going to be good for, for the people in the region, for Cypriots. But we will see. You know, Greece was pushing a lot for an embargo of arms sales. And it has been pushing a lot in this um, meeting as well. But it seems that the European Union is not willing to proceed to that. And that will be a blow for the Greek government in the domestic front because they had invested a lot in this talk about uh, the uh, embargo of arms sales uh, towards Turkey. But in any case, I suppose that both Greece and Cyprus, they have their own domestic issues to concern themselves with. And uh, as things stand, the great political issue in the Republic of Cyprus is the issue of the state budget and whether it will be passed from parliament. Uh, and things appear to be quite uncertain because as things stand, the C is not finding the needed amount of votes for the state budget to be passed. And this would mean that it is trying to find votes from other parties on which it didn't traditionally rely, like EDEC and the Citizens Alliance and even ELAM. So it is interesting to see what will happen with this quid pro quo because if it comes to a point where the C will need the vote of ELAM in order for it to be able to pass the state budget, well, I think you and I, we know very well what ELAM's priorities are. And ELAM's uh, priorities are on the issue of immigration, they are on the issue of refugee rights, of reconciliation, of the crossing points. So I really do not even want to think of what sort of exchanges will take place between uh, far-right alarm and the governing party, DC, um, for the state budget to be passed, based on the fact that the traditional ally of DC uh, in the parliament, when it comes to financial issues, that was the center party, Vigo, does not appear willing to vote uh, for the um, state budget this year. I think the question here is that if you're a country who is bullied by a bigger country and then if you need your European partners' support, you need to continue to be a decent democracy with equality, human rights respected, where corruption does not exist. If you're becoming a pariah state or if you look like one, selling passports and then the extreme right wing is in taking part in your policies and then you are having issues with migrants and then you do not respect the green line regulation and then you are actually having all kind of um, issues which are not necessarily uh, in line with the European values, then you find it even more difficult to find allies. And then probably Turkey will also be using this. Turkey has been using the fact that Greek Cypriot side has not 
been enthusiastic in solving the Cyprus problem, especially when Akinji was still in power. So this is an interesting example how your domestic policies is always relevant with, with the external threats and external politics that you have. And you know, Kemal, uh, just to put it crudely though, Elam MDC has been playing a lot with Elam's rhetoric lately. So voting, the fact that Elam might vote in favor of the state budget this year, to me, it is yet another proof that the two are collaborating when need arises. And uh, just like we saw how their rhetoric is, is like enhancing each other, uh, on crucial issues like the migration issue and the refugee issue. So, yes, I think it will ju- just be a proof of that. And at the same time, when it comes to the European Union, it really has a lot of challenges concerning rule of law and the challenges come from a number of countries. We see what is happening with Poland and Hungary now that they are refusing to conform to the rule of law directives of the European Union. So I think that aside from what you are referring to, the EU has uh, in itself a lot of issues to solve. But I think uh, the Turkish Cypriot administration also has a lot of issues to solve. So, uh, yes, Talking about domestic politics, I always remind our um, listeners that in the north, yes, PRNC is not internationally recognized, we know this, but we have a parliamentary system. So it means that we have a, a prime minister and then we have a president and we, we don't have a presidential system. So after the change of the leader um, in, in the north, now um, the, the, the coalition had already dis- been dissolved because Kutret Ezerzai's party pulled out after the Varosha provocation. Because I think he wanted to play the leading role in this, but uh, Erdogan decided to play this game with Tatar, with the big right-wing party, UBP. So um, they've been trying to form a coalition, and then in the Turkish Cypriot Parliament, you have 50 seats, you need 26 to govern. And whatever calculation you have, there were always this problem that the formulation was always reaching 20. 425 and there were two polls there was this right-wing UBP and then there was this um, left-wing JTP and then there were different parties in between um, after a couple of rounds finally uh, three deputies from Kutred Özersay's uh, HP People's Party resigned and of course uh, it showed how uh, problematic the Turkish Cypriot politics is and uh, they resigned so they decided that they will help a right-wing government to, to run despite the fact that Kutret Özerzai's party was not supporting that right-wing coalition. Now it will be possible and we will have a UBP prime minister, which will be supported by DP, Serdar Dengtaş's, should I say former, because he's not very active with the party, but I think he's going to support this formation now. And um, YDP, which is widely known as Settlers' Party, and so it's going to be that kind of a coalition and um, we'll be seeing what's going to happen because these are crucial times. We came to the end of the year. We need to have the budget to be approved. And in a parliamentary system, it needs to pass from the, 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 the parliament. You need to conv- you know, open the parliament sessions. This is not happening without forming a government and so on and so forth. And there are many pending issues. And uh, government workers need to be paid. So... Let's see what's going to happen in the in the coming days. 
So Serdar Tengtash will support this coalition? Serdar Tengtash will, I think, not be supporting the coalition, but will be making it possible for the parliament to convey so that they get the, uh, at least to have a start, so that their government program will be approved. But later, they will be constantly needing the opposition to pass laws. So it's it's a very fragile combination. And I think there was a lot of pressure from the people, like, please, at least have some sort of a government so that you can have the budget, you can have the, you can start paying for the people's salaries, and then we have other big, really ser- serious issues to be, to be, um, you know, handled. So regardless of the fact that even if there is going to be a three-party coalition, they will be needing the support of the opposition in the parliamentary committees, in other issues, and even if to, let's say, have uh, sessions to open. Yes, Serdar will not be directly supporting it, will not be taking part, I guess, in the cabinet, but will be making it possible for for the three-party to pass and then start the job, but then they will be needing the opposition support in most of the cases. So we have a Sintadar as the leader and then we have a right-wing coalition as well in the Turkish Cypriot side. So it's a good luck. Let's celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this will be very positive concerning the crossing points for a start. And tell us about the Turkish Cypriot youth, I see. So if we are to mention something positive at least, uh, there were new, renewed demonstrations in the north by the Turkish Cypriot youth. I think they, they were calling for uh, uh, peace, basically. I saw some uh, slogans in Greek as well, and it was very impressive. There were United Cyprus Now activists in the demonstrations as well. So tell us a bit about that. Well, I am really very hopeful about the young Turkish Cypriots. They are very much politically aware. They are not necessarily partisan, but they are having their own agendas. They understand the need for a solution in Cyprus. They also support peace in, in the sense of they want to accept diversity. They want to have different groups, minority groups to be heard. They want the country to be reunited. Yes. But they also want dialogue between Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots. And, um, they are rejecting Ankara's intervention into Turkish Cypriot politics. They define themselves as Cypriots, some as Turkish Cypriots, some as Turkish-speaking Cypriots, but they have a very close connection uh, with their Cypriot identity. They own it. The, this was the last march was on the fifth of December, and this was organized by a bunch of youngsters, uh, recent graduates and students who are very much aware of the things going around us. And they organized themselves through social media. They named themselves as Peace March. Almost all of them were also UCN activists or, or fresh recent UCN activists who joined the movement. And um, they had a very impressive work of bringing together different factions of political parties, youth wings together. Because generally, we know how domestic politics are. They don't always find it easy to come together. But in this particular march, we've seen JTP, TDP, Baraka, the left wing, the uh, independence path, labor unions. Um, they all supported those youngsters and they were very careful not to let's say abuse this for their own interests which was very impressive it, it shows some sort of an understanding and I'm so happy to have those youngsters around us I'm 
personally in touch with most of them as as a peace activist and they are very open to uh, listen advisors and then they're they're very articulate and uh, i'm hoping that um, in the long run their voices will be heard by their by the greek cypriots i know that they also have many greek cypriots who have been very sympathetic to their cause you know you and i we were on politics um, the other day and then there was this um, corner on um, the peace movements in Cyprus and then we know that there is this breakfast club who are meeting regularly on Sundays and they have this very small but very uh, impressive uh, movement, independent movement going on. So I, I'm hopeful in the sense that yes, we do not have like mass rallies and then you know hundreds and thousands of people marching but there is this deep wave of people they are getting uh, in touch with each other and I'm hoping that those positive messages are being read and heard. And I think it's kind of unfortunate that in the South we have all the restrictions because peaceful gatherings and assemblies are being uh, forbidden due to COVID. This is a whole renewed discussion about, in a different podcast about whether these measures are faithful to the constitution or not but we shall not get into that but it is unfortunate that uh, now we cannot uh, gather we cannot have any rallies and it would be a good way to extend our hands to the turkey cypriots as well and i hope that even through the small symbolic actions that the various groups are trying to do i really hope that they reach the turkey cypriots because this is these are crucial moments uh, in Cyprus and uh, it is unfortunate to be living in these times in which we cannot collaborate on action in the street. But I'm sure that the various groups are finding their way around through social media, through uh, interactive sessions and I am sure Zoom also has a great deal of impact uh, when it comes to this. Uh, let's uh, you know end our uh, podcast today with something positive like this one. And uh, you and I also being activists, we've been in touch with those uh, youngsters who are getting uh, some sort of training from United Cyprus Now movement um, in order to understand what is peace, how to promote it, what are the ideals, how to be uh, a positive peace activist. And uh, I think we should be congratulating them for their dedication. And uh, let's hope that those people will actually have more say in Cyprus politics, in Cyprus life in the coming months and years ahead. Indeed, and I think that looking at the youth is the only way to go and uh, in order for one to be hopeful uh, for the future of Cyprus. So let us do that. Well, Let's give you. them a big clap, Andromani. <laughs> Let's give them a big applause to Let's, those youngsters, and Let's, I'll I'll, uh, I'll pass that the link of this podcast to them so that they will listen. I am sure that you will also do it through Instagram that you are turning into a pro. I am clueless, but at least we have you. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much.